0: Book five part one of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand Volume three This is the Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox dot org recording by Nicole Lee The Memoirs of Chateaubriand Volume three by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand translated by Alexander Texera de Matos Book five Part one I show you the wrong side of events which history does not display history exhibits only the right side memoirs have the advantage of presenting both surfaces of the texture in this respect they depict the whole complexion of humanity better by exposing as in the tragedies of shakespeare low and exalted scenes there is everywhere a cottage beside a palace a man who weeps beside a man who laughs a ragman carrying his basket beside a king losing his throne what was the fall of darius to the slave present at the battle of barbela ghent then was only a tiring room behind the slips of the spectacle opened in paris some famous personages still remained in europe i had in eighteen hundred commenced my career with alexander and napoleon why have i not followed those leading actors my contemporaries on the great stage why only at ghent because heaven casts you where it wills from the little hundred days at ghent let us pass to the great hundred days in paris i have told you the reasons which ought to have stopped bonaparte in elba and the urgent reasons or rather the necessity drawn from his nature which compelled him to issue from exile but the march from cannes to paris exhausted all that remained of the old man in paris the talisman was shattered the few moments for which the reign of lawfulness had reappeared had sufficed to render impossible the re-establishment of arbitrariness despotism muzzles the masses and enfranchises individuals within a certain limit anarchy lets loose the masses and enslaves individual independence hence despotism resembles liberty when it follows after anarchy it remains what it really is when it replaces liberty bonaparte a liberator after the constitution of the directory was an oppressor after the charter he felt this so well that he thought himself obliged to go further than louis the eighteenth and to return to the sources of national sovereignty he who had trodden the people under foot as its master was reduced to create himself anew a tribune of the people to court the favour of the suburbs to parody the revolutionary infancy to lisp an old language of liberty which forced his lips into a grimace while each syllable angered his sword his destiny as a power was in fact so well accomplished that the genius of napoleon was no longer recognised during the hundred days that genius was the genius of success and order not that of defeat and liberty now he could do nothing through victory which had betrayed him nothing for order since it existed without him in his astonishment he said to what a condition have the bourbons reduced france for me in a few months it will take me years to restore her it was not the work of the legitimacy which the conqueror saw but the work of the charter he had left france dumb and prostrate he found her erect and speaking in the ingenuousness of his absolute mind he took liberty for disorder and yet bonaparte was obliged to capitulate with the ideas which he was unable to conquer at first sight in the absence of any real popularity workmen hired at forty sous a head came at the end of their day's work to howl long live the emperor in the carousel that was called going to the crying proclamations at first announced marvels of forgetting and forgiving individuals were declared free the nation free the press free nothing was wanted but the peace independence and happiness of the people the whole imperial system was changed the golden age was about to return in order to conform practice with theory france was divided into seven great police sections the seven lieutenants were invested with the same powers which were enjoyed under the consulate and the empire by the directors general it is well known what those protectors of individual liberty were at lyon bordeaux milan florence lisbon hamburg amsterdam over these lieutenants in a hierarchy more and more favourable to liberty bonaparte placed commissaries extraordinary after the fashion of the representatives of the people under the convention the police directed by Fouché, informed the world by means of solemn proclamations that it would thenceforward serve only to spread philosophy that it would act only in accordance with virtuous principles bonaparte re-established by decree the national guard of the kingdom the mere name of which used formerly to make his head swim he found himself compelled to annul the divorce pronounced under the empire between despotism and demagogy and to favour their renewed alliance from this hymen was to spring on the champ de May, a liberty wearing the red cap and the turban on its head the Mamelukes' sabre in its belt, and the revolutionary axe in its hand. A liberty surrounded by the shades of those thousands of victims, sacrificed on the scaffolds, or in the burning campaigns of Spain and the icy deserts of Russia. Before success, the Mamelukes were Jacobins. After success, the Jacobins were to become Mamelukes. Sparta was for the moment of danger, Constantinople for that of triumph. Bonaparte would indeed have liked to recover possession for himself alone, but that was impossible for him. He found men prepared to dispute it with him. First, the earnest republicans, delivered from the chains of despotism and the laws of the monarchy, desired to retain an independence which is perhaps but a noble error. Next, the madmen of the old faction of the mountain, these latter, humiliated at having been nothing more under the empire than the police spies of a despot, seemed resolved to resume on their own account that liberty of doing everything of which, during fifteen years, they had yielded the privilege to a master. But not the republicans, nor the revolutionaries, nor the satellites of Bonaparte, were strong enough to establish their separate power, or mutually to subjugate each other. Threatened from without by an invasion, pursued from within by public opinion, they understood that, if they became divided, they were lost, in order to escape the danger they adjourned their quarrel some brought their systems and illusions to the common defence others their terror and perversity none was in earnest in this compact each once the crisis passed resolved to turn it to his profit all sought beforehand to make sure of the results of victory in that awful tron et un three enormous gamblers kept the bank by turns liberty anarchy and despotism all three cheating and striving to win a game which was lost for all full of that thought they did not proceed rigorously against a forlorn hope which was urging on revolutionary measures federates had been formed in the faubourgs and federations were being organized under stern oaths in brittany anjou lyonnais and burgundy the marseillaise and the camagnon were heard sung a club established in paris corresponded with other clubs in the provinces the resurrection of the journal des patriotes was announced but on that side what confidence were the resuscitated of seventeen ninety three able to inspire was it not known how they explained liberty equality the rights of man were they more moral more wise more sincere after their enormities than before was it because they had tainted themselves with all the vices that they had become capable of all the virtues one cannot abdicate crime as easily as a crown the brow once girt with a hideous circlet retains ineffaceable marks from its contact the idea of reducing an ambitious man of genius from the rank of emperor to that of generalissimo or president of the republic was a chimera the red cap which they had fixed on the head of his busts during the hundred days would only have foreboded to bonaparte the resumption of the diadem were it given to the athletes who raced through the world to run the same course twice still some liberals of the better sort promised themselves the victory mistaken men like benjamin constant dolts like monsieur simon sismondi spoke of placing the prince of canino at the ministry of the interior lieutenant-general comte carnot at the war office the comte merlin at the ministry of justice in appearance despondent bonaparte made no opposition to democratic movements which in the last result supplied his army with conscripts he allowed himself to be attacked in pamphlets caricatures repeated elba to him as parrots cried perron to les ongs they preached liberty and equality to the man escaped from prison addressing him in the second person singular he listened to these remonstrances with an air of compunction suddenly bursting the shackles in which they had pretended to bind him he proclaimed by his own authority not a plebeian constitution but an aristocratic constitution an additional act to the constitutions of the empire the contemplated republic was changed by this adroit piece of juggling into the old imperial government rejuvenated with feudality the additional act lost bonaparte the republican party and made malcontents in almost all the other parties license reigned in paris anarchy in the provinces the civil and military authorities contended with each other here men threatened to burn the manors and murder the priests there they hoisted the white flag and shouted long live the king finding himself attacked bonaparte retreated he withdrew the nomination of the mayors of communes from his commissaries extraordinary and restored that nomination to the people alarmed at the multiplicity of negative votes against the additional act he abandoned his de facto dictatorship and convened the chamber of representatives by virtue of that act which was not yet accepted blundering from rock to rock he was scarcely delivered from one danger before stumbling against another the sovereign of a day how was he to establish an hereditary peerage which the spirit of equality repelled how to govern the two chambers would they yield a passive obedience what would be the relations of the chambers with the proposed assembly of the chambre which had no real object since the additional act was brought into operation before the suffrages had been counted would that assembly consisting of thirty thousand electors not believe itself to be the representatives of the nation? This Chambre de May, so pompously announced and celebrated on the 1st of June, resolved itself into a simple march past of troops, and a distribution of colours before a despised altar. Napoleon, surrounded by his brothers, the state dignitaries, the marshals, the civil and judicial bodies, proclaimed the sovereignty of the people in which he did not believe. The citizens had imagined that they themselves would frame a constitution, on that solemn day the peaceful middle class expected that then would be declared napoleon's abdication in favour of his son an abdication concocted at basle between the agents of Fouché and of prince metternich and there was nothing but a ridiculous political trap the additional act for the rest stood forth as an act of homage to the legitimacy save for a few differences and in particular excluding the abolition of confiscation it was the charter those sudden changes that confounding of all things announced the last struggles of despotism nevertheless the emperor could not receive the death-stroke from within for the power which was combating him was as debilitated as himself the revolutionary titan whom napoleon had floored of old had not recovered his native energy the two giants were now aiming useless blows at one another It was nothing more than the contest of two shadows to these general impossibilities were added for bonaparte domestic tribulations and palace cares he announced to france the return of the empress and the king of rome and neither one nor the other came back speaking of the queen of holland who thanks to louis the eighteenth had become duchesse de saint-lieu he said when one has accepted the prosperity of a family one must embrace its adversity joseph who had hastened from switzerland only asked him for money lucien alarmed him through his liberal connections murat after first conspiring against his brother-in-law had been in too great a hurry on returning to him to attack the austrians stripped of the kingdom of naples a runaway of ill omen he was awaiting under arrest near marseilles the catastrophe which i will describe to you later and then was the emperor able to trust his former partisans and his self-styled friends had they not infamously abandoned him at the moment of his fall that senate which formerly crawled at his feet now ensconced in the peerage, had it not decreed its benefactor's deposition? Could he believe those men, when they came and said to him, The interests of France are inseparable from your own. If fortune betrays your efforts, reverses sire, uh, would not impair our perseverance, and would redouble our attachment to your person. Your perseverance! Your attachment redouble by misfortune! You said this on the 11th of June, 1815. What had you said on the 2nd of April, 1814? What will you say a few weeks later, on the 19th of July, 1815? The ministry of the imperial police was in correspondence, as you have seen, with Ghent, Vienna, and Baal. The marshals to whom Bonaparte was compelled to give the command of his soldiers had but now taken the oath to Louis the Eighteenth. They had issued the most violent proclamation against him, Bonaparte, since that time it is true they had re-espoused their sultan, but if he had been arrested at Grenoble, what would they have done with him? is it enough to break an oath to restore its whole strength to another violated oath are two perjuries equivalent to one fidelity a few days more and those swearers of the champ de May will carry back their devotion to louis XVIII in the halls of the tuileries they will approach the sacred table of the god of peace in order to have themselves appointed ministers at the banquets of war heralds-at-arms and brandishers of the royal insignia at the coronation of bonaparte they will fulfil the same functions at the coronation of charles x then as the commissaries of another power they will lead that king a prisoner to cherbourg scarce finding a little corner free in their consciences to hang up in it the badge of their new oath it is hard to be born in times of improbity in those days when two men talking together study how to keep back words from their tongue for fear of offending each other and of mutually making one another blush those who had not been able to tie themselves to napoleon by his glory who had not been able to adhere from gratitude to the benefactor from whom they had received their riches their honours and their very names were they likely to sacrifice themselves now to his needy hopes would they link themselves to a precarious and reincipient fortune the ingrates whom a fortune consolidated by unexampled successes and by a possession of sixteen years of victories had failed to fix so many chrysalids who between two spring-times had put off and put on shed and resumed the skin of the legitimist and the revolutionary of the napoleonist and the bourbonist so many words given and broken so many crosses moved from the knight's breast to the horse's tail and from the horse's tail to the knight's breast so many doughty warriors changing their banners and strewing the lists with their pledges of perjured faith so many noble dames the attendants by turns of marie louise and marie caroline were calculated to leave in the depths of napoleon's heart nought but distrust horror and contempt that great man grown old stood alone among all those traitors men and fortune on a tottering earth under a hostile sky in front of his accomplished destiny and the judgment of god napoleon had found no faithful friends but the phantoms of his past glory these escorted him as i have told you from the spot at which he landed to the capital of france but the eagles which had flown from steeple to steeple from cannes to paris alighted wearily upon the chimneys of the tuileries able to go no further napoleon did not hurl himself at the head of the roused populace upon belgium before an anglo-prussian army had assembled there he stopped he tried to negotiate with europe and humbly to maintain the treaties of the legitimacy the congress of vienna urged against m le duc de Vicence, the abdication of the eleventh of april eighteen fourteen by that abdication bonaparte recognized that he was the sole obstacle to the restoration of peace in europe and consequently renounced for himself and his heirs the thrones of france and italy now since he had come to restore his power he was manifestly violating the treaty of paris and placing himself again in the political situation anterior to the thirty first of march eighteen fourteen therefore it was he bonaparte who was declaring war against europe and not europe against bonaparte these logical quibbles of diplomatic attorneys as i remarked in connection with m de talleyrand's letter were worth what they might be before the battle the news of bonaparte's landing at cannes had reached vienna on the sixth of march in the middle of an entertainment at which was represented the assembly of the divinities of olympus and parnassus alexander had just received the proposal for an alliance between france austria and england he hesitated a moment between the two pieces of intelligence and then said the question is not of myself but of the safety of the world and an estafette carried orders to st petersburg to dispatch the guards the withdrawing armies stopped short their long line faced about and eight hundred thousand enemies turned their eyes towards france bonaparte prepared for war he was expected in new catalonian fields god had summoned him to the battle which was to put an end to the reign of battles the heat of the wings of the renown of marengo and austerlitz had sufficed to hatch armies in that france which is one great nest of soldiers bonaparte had restored to his legions their epithets of invincible terrible and incomparable seven armies resumed the titles of armies of the pyrenees of the alps of the jura the moselle the rhine great memories which served as a frame for supposed troops for expected triumphs a real army was mustered in paris and at Laon. one hundred and fifty mounted batteries ten thousand picked soldiers entered into the guards 18,000 sailors distinguished at Lützen and Bautzen, 30,000 veterans, officers and non-commissioned officers in garrison in the fortified towns, seven departments in the north and east ready to rise in a body, 180,000 men of the National Guard mobilized, volunteer corps in Lorraine, Alsace, and Franche-Comte, Federates offering their pikes in their strength, Paris turning out 3,000 muskets a day, those were the Emperor's resources perhaps he might yet once more have overturned the world had he been able to resolve while liberating the country to summon the foreign nations to independence the moment was propitious the kings after promising their subjects constitutional government had shamefully gone from their word but liberty was distasteful to napoleon since he had drunk of the cup of power he preferred to be vanquished with soldiers rather than to vanquish with peoples the army corps which he successively sent towards the netherlands amounted to seventy thousand men we emigrants in the city of charles v were like the women of that city seated behind their windows they watched the soldiers in a little slanting mirror passing down the street louis the thirteenth was there in a corner completely forgotten scarcely did he from time to time receive a note from the prince de talleyrand returning from vienna a few lines from the members of the diplomatic body resident about the duke of wellington as commissaries messieurs pozzo de borgo de vincent etc etc they had plenty to do besides thinking of us a man unacquainted with politics would never have believed that an impotent hidden on the banks of the lee would be flung back upon the throne by the collision of thousands of soldiers ready to cut each other's throats soldiers of whom he was neither the king nor the general who were not thinking of him who knew of neither his name nor his existence of two such close spots as ghent and waterloo never did one appear so dim the other so dazzling the legitimacy lay in the storehouse like an old broken wagon we knew that bonaparte's troops were approaching to cover us we had only two little companies under the orders of the duc de Berry, a prince whose blood could not avail us for it was already demanded elsewhere one thousand horse detached from the french army would have carried us off in a few hours the fortifications of ghent were demolished the enceinte which remained would have been the more easily carried in that the belgian population was not in our favor the scene which i had witnessed at the tuileries was repeated his majesty's carriages were secretly got ready the horses were ordered we faithful ministers would have splashed after by god's grace Monsieur left for brussels charged to watch the movements from near at hand m de blacas had become anxious and melancholy i poor man consoled him people in vienna were not favorably disposed to him m de talleyrand laughed at him the royalists accused him of being the cause of napoleon's return thus whatever happened no further honoured exile for him in england no further possibility of first places in france i was his only support i used to meet him pretty often in the horse-market where he trotted about alone harnessing myself to his side i fell in with his sad thought this man whom i have defended at ghent and in england whom i defended in france after the hundred days and even in the preface to the Monarchie selon la charte has always been adverse to me that would be nothing if he had not been an evil for the monarchy i do not repent my past simplicity but i am bound in these memoirs to rectify the surprises sprung upon my judgment and my good heart on the eighteenth of june eighteen fifteen i left ghent at noon by the brussels gate i was going to finish my walk alone on the high road i had taken caesar's commentaries with me and i strolled slowly along immersed in my reading i was more than a league from the town when i thought i heard a dull rumbling i stopped looked up at the sky which was fairly laden with clouds, taking counsel with myself whether I should continue to walk on or go back towards Ghent for fear of a storm. I listened. I heard nothing more save the cry of a moorhen in the rushes and the sound of a village clock. I pursued my way. I had not taken thirty steps before the rumbling began again, now short, now long, and at irregular intervals. Sometimes it was perceptible only through a trembling of the air which communicated itself to the ground over those immense plains so distant was it those detonations less extensive less undulating less connected than those of thunder gave rise in my mind to the idea of a battle i found myself in front of a poplar planted at the corner of a hop-field i crossed the road and leant erect against the trunk of the tree my face turned in the direction of brussels a southerly wind springing up carried to me more distinctly the sound of artillery that great battle nameless as yet of which i listened to the echoes at the foot of a poplar and of which a village clock had just rung out the unknown funerals was the battle of waterloo a silent and solitary hearer of the formidable judgment of the destinies i should have been less moved if i had found myself in the fray the peril the fire the press of death would have left me no time for meditation but alone under a tree in the fields of ghent like the shepherd of the flocks which passed around me i was overwhelmed by the weight of my reflections what was that battle was it decisive was napoleon there in person were lots being cast upon the world as upon christ's vesture in the event of success or reverse for one side or the other what would be the consequence for the nations liberty or slavery but what blood was flowing was not each sound that reached my ear the last sigh of a frenchman was it a new Quercy, a new Poitiers, a new agincourt in which france's most implacable enemies were about to revel if they triumphed was not our glory lost if napoleon won the day what became of our liberty although a success on napoleon's side opened up to me an eternal exile the motherland at that moment gained the mastery in my heart my prayers before the oppressor of france if while saving our honour he was to snatch us from foreign domination was wellington triumphing then the legitimacy would re-enter paris behind those red uniforms which had just renewed their dye in the blood of the french then the royalty would have, as state carriages at its coronation, the ambulance wagons, filled with our maimed grenadiers. What manner of restoration would it be, accomplished under such auspices? That is but a very small portion of the ideas that tormented me. Each gunshot gave me a shock and double the beating of my heart. At a few leagues from an immense catastrophe I did not see it. I could not touch the huge funeral monument growing minute by minute at Waterloo, even as from the shore of Bulac on the bank of the nile i had vainly stretched out my hands towards the pyramids no traveller appeared a few women in the fields peacefully weeding rows of vegetables did not seem to hear the noise to which i was listening but see a courier came riding up i left the foot of my tree and placed myself in the middle of the road i stopped the courier and questioned him he belonged to the duke de berry and came from alos bonaparte entered brussels yesterday 17th june after a sanguinary combat The battle was to have recommenced to-day, 18th June. They think the Allies have suffered a decisive defeat, and the order is given to retreat. The courier continued his road. I followed him, hastening my steps. I was passed by the carriage of a merchant who was fleeing post with his family. He confirmed the courier's story. All was in confusion when I returned to Ghent. They were closing the gates of the city. Only the wickets remained half-opened. Ill-armed civilians and a few soldiers in depot were keeping sentry. I went to the King's monsieur had just arrived by a circuitous route he had left brussels upon the false news that bonaparte was about to enter it and that a first lost battle left no hope of winning a second they were saying that as the prussians had not formed their lines the english had been crushed at these bulletins the stampede became general the possessors of some resources left i who am accustomed never to have anything was always ready and prepared i wanted to let madame de chateaubriand move out before me she was a great bonapartist but did not like cannon shots she refused to leave me in the evening council at his majesty's we heard monsieur's reports over again as well as the en d picked up at the military commandants or at the baron dextein's the wagon to contain the crown diamonds was put to. i had no need of a wagon to remove my treasure i put the black silk handkerchief in which i wrapped my head at night into my flaccid minister of the interior's portfolio and placed myself at the sovereign's disposal with that important document of the affairs of the legitimacy i was richer in my first emigration when my knapsack did duty as my pillow and served as a swaddling-band for atala but in eighteen fifteen atala was a big gawky little girl of thirteen or fourteen who was going about alone in the world and who to her father's honour had got herself too much talked about on the nineteenth of june at one o'clock in the morning a letter from m pozzo brought to the king by express re-established the truth of the facts bonaparte had never entered brussels he had decidedly lost the battle of waterloo leaving paris on the twelfth of june he joined his army on the fourteenth on the fifteenth he forced the enemy's lines on the sombre on the sixteenth he beat the prussians in those plains of fleurus where victory seems to be always faithful to the french the villages of ligny and saint amand were carried at quatre bras a further success the duke of brunswick remained among the dead blucher in full retreat fell back upon a reserve of thirty thousand men under the orders of general bulow the duke of wellington with the english and dutch set his back against brussels on the morning of the eighteenth before the first gun had been fired the duke of wellington declared that he would be able to hold out until three o'clock but that at that time if the prussians did not come into sight he would necessarily be destroyed driven back upon Planche Noire and brussels he was shut out from all retreat he had been surprised by napoleon his strategic position was detestable he had accepted it and had not chosen it the french at first on the left wing of the enemy took the heights commanding the chateau Dougmont, as far as the farms of the Sainte and Papelotte. on the right wing they attacked the village of mont saint-jean the farm of the haiesinthe was carried in the centre by prince jerome but the prussian reserves appeared in the direction of saint lambert at six o'clock in the evening a new and furious attack was delivered upon the village of the haiesinthe arrived with fresh troops and cut off the squares of the imperial guard from the rest of our forces around this immortal phalanx the torrent of fugitives carried all with it among waves of dust fiery smoke and grape-shot in darkness ploughed with congreve rockets amid the roar of three hundred pieces of artillery and the headlong gallop of five and twenty thousand horses it was as it were the summary of all the battles of the empire twice the french shouted victory and twice their shouts were stifled under the pressure of the enemy's columns the fire from our lines died out the cartridges were exhausted some wounded grenadiers amid thirty thousand slain and a hundred thousand blood-stained cannon-balls cooled and conglomerated at their feet remained erect leaning on their muskets with broken bayonets and empty barrels not far from them the man of battles listened with a fixed stare to the last cannon shot he was to hear in his life in that field of carnage his brother jerome was still fighting with his expiring battalions overwhelmed by numbers but his courage was unable to retrieve the victory the number of killed on the side of the allies was estimated at eighteen thousand men on the side of the french at twenty-five thousand. Twelve hundred british officers had perished almost all the duke of wellington's aide-de-camp were killed or wounded there was not a family in england but went into mourning the prince of orange was hit by a bullet in the shoulder the baron de vincent the austrian ambassador was shot through the hand the english were beholden for the success to the irish and to the highland brigade whom our cavalry charges were unable to break general grouchy's corps not having advanced was not present in the action the two armies crossed steel and fire with a valour and desperation inspired by a national enmity of ten centuries lord castlereagh giving an account of the battle in the house of lords said the british and french soldiers after the action washed their blood-stained hands in the same stream and from opposite banks congratulated each other on their courage Wellington had always been baleful to Bonaparte, or rather, the rival genius to France, the English genius, barred the road to victory. Today the Prussians lay claim to the honour of this decisive battle as against the English, but in war it is not the action accomplished but the name that makes the triumpher. It was not Bonaparte who won the real battle of Jena. The blunders of the French were important. They made mistakes as to friendly or hostile bodies. They occupied the position of Catobras too late. Marshal Grouchy, whose instructions were to hold the Prussians in check with his 36,000 men, allowed them to pass without seeing them, hence the reproaches which our generals cast at one another. Bonaparte attacked in front according to his custom, instead of turning the English, and, with a master's presumption, occupied himself in cutting off the retreat of an enemy who was not beaten. Many falsehoods and some rather curious truths have been retailed concerning this catastrophe. The phrase, The guard dies but does not surrender, is an invention which no one dares now to defend it appears to be certain that at the commencement of the action so made some strategic observations to the emperor and that napoleon replied dryly because wellington defeated you you persist in thinking him a great general at the end of the fighting m de Turenne urged bonaparte to retire to avoid falling into the hands of the enemy bonaparte emerging from his thoughts as from a dream at first flew into a passion then suddenly in the midst of his rage he flung himself upon his horse and fled on the nineteenth of june a salute of a hundred guns at the invalides announced the successes of ligny charleroi and carte they were celebrating victories that had died the day before at waterloo the first messenger to bring to paris the news of this defeat one of the greatest in history in its results was napoleon himself he re-entered the barriers on the night of the twenty-first as who should say returning from his shades to inform his friends that he was no more He stayed at the Elysee bourbon When he arrived from Elba, he had stayed at the Tuileries. Those refuges instinctively chosen reveal the change in his destiny. Fallen in a noble fight abroad, Napoleon had in Paris to endure the assaults of the advocates who wished to exploit his misfortunes. He regretted that he had not dissolved the chamber before his departure for the army. He often also repented that he had not had Fouché and Talleyrand shot. But it is certain that Bonaparte after Waterloo forbade himself any kind of violence whether because he obeyed the natural calm of his temperament or because he was daunted by fate he no longer said as before his first abdication they shall see what the death of a great man is the time for that spirited language was past opposed as he was to liberty he thought of breaking up the chamber of representatives presided over by who from a citizen became a senator from a senator a peer who since became a citizen again and who from a citizen was about again to become a peer general lafayette deputy read from the tribune a motion declaring the chamber in permanent session any attempt to dissolve it a crime of high treason whosoever should be guilty of it a traitor to the country and to be tried as such twenty first june eighteen fifteen the general speech began with these words gentlemen now when for the first time since many years i raise a voice which the old friends of liberty will still recognize i feel called upon to speak to you of the danger of the country this is the time to rally round the tricolor flag the flag of eighty-nine the flag of liberty equality and public order the anachronism of this speech caused a momentary illusion people thought they saw the revolution personified by lafayette rise from the tomb and stand pale and wrinkled in the tribune but those motions of order revived after mirabeau were now no more than worn-out weapons taken from an old arsenal lafayette nobly united the end and the commencement of his life it was not in his power to weld together the two ends of the broken chain of time benjamin constant waited on the emperor at their bourbon he found him in his garden the crowd was filling the avenue de marigny and shouting long live the emperor a touching cry coming from the popular heart it was addressed to the vanquished bonaparte said to benjamin constant what duty do these owe me i found them and left them poor this is perhaps the only speech that came from his heart if nevertheless the deputy's emotion did not deceive his hearing bonaparte foreseeing the event anticipated the summons they were preparing to serve on him he abdicated so as not to be compelled to abdicate my political life is ended he said i declare my son emperor of the french under the name of napoleon the second a useless disposition like that of charles x in favour of henry v one gives crowns only when one possesses them and men upset the will of adversity moreover the emperor was no more sincere on descending the throne a second time than he had been in his first retirement when the french commissaries went to inform the duke of wellington that napoleon had abdicated he replied i knew that a year ago the chamber of representatives after some debates in which manuel addressed the house accepted its sovereign's new abdication but vaguely and without appointing a regency an executive commission was created the Duc d'Autrante, presided over it. Three ministers, a councilor of state, and a general of the emperors, composed it, and stripped their master once more. These were Fouché, Colincourt, Carnot, Quinet, and Grenier. During these transactions, Bonaparte was turning over his ideas in his head. I have no army left, he said. I have nothing but fugitives. The majority of the chamber of deputies are good. I have only Lafayette, Langevinet, and a few others against me if the nation rises the enemy will be crushed if instead of rising they quarrel all will be lost the nation has not sent deputies to overthrow me but to support me i am not afraid of them whatever they may do i shall always be the idol of the people and the army if i were to say a word they would be beaten to death but if we quarrel instead of acting in concert we shall meet with the fate of the low empire a deputation from the chamber of representatives having come to congratulate him on his new abdication he replied i thank you i wish that my abdication may bring happiness to france but i am not hopeful he repented soon after when he heard that the chamber of representatives had appointed a commissioner of government composed of five members he said to the ministers i have not abdicated in favour of a new directory i have abdicated in favour of my son if they do not proclaim him, my abdication is null and void. It is not by appearing before the allies with hangdog looks and bent knee that the chambers will force them to recognize their national independence. He complained that Lafayette, Sébastien, Pontecoulant, Benjamin Constant, had conspired against him. That besides, the chambers had not enough energy. He said that he alone could repair all, but that the leaders would never consent. That they would rather be swallowed up in the abyss than unite with him napoleon to close it on the 27th of june at the marmaison he wrote this sublime letter in abdicating the power i did not renounce the citizens noblest right the right of defending my country in these grave circumstances i offer my services as a general regarding myself still as the first soldier of the motherland the duc de bassano having represented to him that the chambers would not be for him then i see he said one must always give in that infamous fouchet is deceiving you only colancourt and carnot are worth anything but what can they do with a traitor fouchet and two simpletons Kinette and grenier and two chambers which do not know what they want you all believe like fools in the fine promises of the foreigners you believe they will set the pot boiling and that they will give you a prince of their making do you not you are wrong Plenipotentiaries were sent to the allies on the twenty ninth of june napoleon demanded two frigates stationed at rochefort to take him out of france meanwhile he had retired to the marmaison the debates in the house of peers were lively long an enemy of bonaparte carnot who signed the order for the masques of avignon without having time to read it had found time during the hundred days to immolate his republicanism to the title of count on the twenty second of june he had read in the luxembourg a letter from the Minister of War containing an exaggerated report on the military resources of France. Ney, newly arrived, was unable to hear this report unangered. Napoleon, in his bulletins, had spoken of the Marshal with ill-disguised dissatisfaction, and Gorgaud accused Ney of being the chief cause of the loss of the Battle of Waterloo. Ney rose and said, The report is untrue, untrue in every respect. Grouchy can have only twenty to twenty-five thousand men under his orders at the most, there is not a single soldier of the guard left to be rallied i commanded it i saw it slaughtered bodily before leaving the battlefield the enemy is at nivelles with eighty thousand men he can be in paris in six days you have no other means of saving the country than to open negotiations the de flau endeavored to support the report of the minister of war ney replied with fresh vehemence i repeat you have no other way of safety except negotiation you must recall the bourbons as for myself i shall retire to the united states at these words lavalette and carnot overwhelmed the marshal with reproaches ney replied with disdain i am not one of those men to whom their own interest is everything what have i to gain by the return of louis eighteen to be shot for the crime of desertion but i owe the truth to my country in the sitting of the peers of the twenty third general drouot recalling this scene said I heard with regret what was said yesterday to disparage the glory of our arms to exaggerate our disasters and disparage our resources my astonishment was so much the greater because those speeches were delivered by a distinguished general who through his great valour and his military attainments had so often deserved the gratitude of the nation in the sitting of the twenty-second a second storm had burst out at the heel of the first the question was Bonaparte's abdication lucien was insisting that his nephew should be recognized as emperor M. de Ponticoulon interrupted the speaker, and asked by what right Lucien, a foreigner and a Roman prince, permitted himself to give a sovereign to France. How, he added, can we recognize a child living in a foreign country? At this question, la Bedoyer, speaking excitedly from his seat, I have heard voices around the throne of the fortunate sovereign. They withdraw from it today when he is unfortunate. There are people who do not want to recognize Napoleon the Second because they want to receive the law from the foreigner to whom they give the name of allies napoleon's abdication is indivisible if you refuse to recognize his son he must remain sword in hand surrounded by frenchmen who have shed their blood for him and who are still all covered with wounds he will be abandoned by base generals who have already betrayed him but if you declare that every frenchman who deserts his flag shall be covered with infamy his house razed to the ground his family outlawed then there will be no more traitors no more intrigues such as have occasioned the late catastrophes some of whose authors are perhaps sitting among us the house rose in an uproar order 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 they bellowed feeling the thrust young man you forget yourself cried massena do you think you are still in the guard-room asked lameth all the portents of the second restoration were threatening bonaparte had returned at the head of four hundred frenchmen louis the eighteenth was returning behind four hundred thousand foreigners he passed near the bloody pool of waterloo to go to st denis as though to his funeral it was while the legitimacy was thus advancing that the interpolations of the house of peers resounded they contained something i know not what of those terrible revolutionary scenes of the great days of our troubles when the dagger was passed round on the bench from hand to hand among the victims a few soldiers whose baleful fascination had brought about the ruin of france by producing the second foreign invasion struggled on the threshold of the palace their prophetic despair, their gestures, their words from the tomb, seemed to announce a troubled death, death to themselves, death to the man whom they had blessed, death to the man whom they had proscribed. five Part one